0: Well, a few weeks ago, some of you know that an accreditation team came to visit Faith Bible Seminary. We have a seminary here where we train men for ministry and men and women for um, graduate-level education and biblical counseling. I'm the overseer of Faith Bible Seminary. And if you know what the accreditation process of education is like, it's pretty rigorous. They're, They're testing you in all kinds of ways. You've got to meet certain standards and You know, last year, our administration team started preparing for the visit in April. So last year, we started preparing for this. We had to present a 350-page document eventually to show how we met all the standards. And with a little exaggeration intended right now, so I'm about to engage in exaggeration, but anybody here over 50, I see some of you, I know you are, um... You know, over 50 is when they start asking you to do a rigorous medical exam where they get really invasive. I'm not going to explain exactly what that is, but they require it to see if you have a certain type of cancer and if you're healthy. Well, that's a little bit what the invasive accreditation procedure is like. And those of you over 50 know about that. Those under 50, let's just say, enjoy your youth while you have it. The difference between the procedure medically and accreditation is that at least in the medical procedure, they give you a happy drug to sleep through the procedure. There was no happy drug administered to me during the accreditation visit. A team of six individuals came and inspected every nook and cranny of faith Bible seminaries, practices and procedures and education. And after the first day of scrutiny, having to produce more documentation, more evidence, more justification for why we do what we do, I found myself thinking, I don't want to go the next day to undergo the scrutiny. What will they find? What if they find a weakness in this area or that? And I had to turn to the Lord and remember that this is precisely why they are here. They are here to probe and prod to see if Faith Bible Seminary has weaknesses that might affect its constituents. And that's fair and that should be the case. And if they find weaknesses, I need to know. They are here to see if Faith Bible Seminary is the real deal. So I need to set my face toward this scrutiny as opposed to pull away. So the first thing the next morning, I got up and I met the team and prayed for them to do their job of scrutiny and do it well. And although they had the authority to do this anyway, I, I set my face to it and I invited them at any point, all six of them, to meet with me again and you know, give me the third degree if they needed to. My last scheduled meeting with them that day had ended at 11.30 and I heard they were hoping to wrap up their work by 2.30 that afternoon. And I remember going back to my office and thinking, oh, my goodness, 2.30, please come and come quickly, 2.30. I don't want any more scrutiny. I don't want any more invasiveness. I actually, your pastor actually thought this. What if I just slip out of the building from now until 2.30? Nobody will know where I am to call me. And then God reminded me, Brent, you're the CEO, where are you going to go? I mean, if you you escape for a little bit, they're going to find you. The scrutiny, the testing is inescapable. This is the testing that is necessary to show that Faith Bible Seminary is meeting the standards. 2.30 eventually came, and the next day the team gave me the report, where I heard the commendations and the recommendations and I'm thankful to say that FBS got six commendations. I was informed that the normal is two and three, so I'll take that as an encouraging, but who knows? Maybe they say this to all their paying customers. I don't know. But we received seven ways that we need to improve. I guess that's the perfect number of seven, I suppose. But when we get, we'll get to work on those seven ways, and the next year, in 2024, we'll hear if we have received a 10-year accreditation renewal. And I assume that we will. There's nothing in those seven seven recommendations that um, are insurmountable. So I invite you to thank, them, thank the Lord for his good favor. I think that there's not going to be an issue with the renewal. And um, thank you for Faith Church, for being a, a church that um, has visionary um, leadership in regard to um, just starting ministries like Vision of Hope, Faith Bible Seminary, Community Centers, to continue to train God's people. But after that testing process, my assurance was bolstered that FBS had been tested, and FBS is on the right track. Okay. Now, here's my point. We're talking some, this morning not about ultimately education, but there is something much more important to be shown as authentic and real than Faith Bible Seminary. Okay, let me say that again. There is something much more important than to, to be shown as authentic and real than Faith Bible Seminary. What is that? What is that? It's you and your faith. So, let me let me start here in one very limited sense. Christianity can be attractive to the masses. I know right now Christianity is on the downswing in the sense of opposition. I understand that, but in one limited sense, Christianity can be attractive to the masses because Christianity is different than any other religion. So, let me explain what I mean by that. So, you mean I don't have to perform in order to get to heaven? Say no. I didn't hear Some of you didn't say no. Say no. (laughs) You mean I don't have to appease an angry God in order to get to heaven? Say no. You mean I don't have to do penance in order to get to heaven? Say no. But you do have to have genuine faith. All right? And that faith that maybe you once easily prayed in the sinner's prayer, hear me on this, and that faith will be tested. Okay. So we should not be surprised when the heavenly accreditation comes to visit and scrutinize that faith. With those thoughts in mind, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It's on page 182 in the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you, and we are continuing our series this morning on hope for everyday life. And this morning we are discussing hope. And I know this is not a fun topic. Nobody really likes tests. But there is hope because of the testing of God. So starting in 1 Peter verse 4, verse 12, hear God's word as I read it to you. Beloved, do not be surprised now. I believe when I came over here in early January teaching on the very first chapter of 1 Peter, I had you repeat with me, I will not be surprised. Say, I will not be surprised. I will not be surprised. At the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. The word testing there is purosis, which means the process of burning. It, it, it harkens back to the fiery ordeal, the process of burning, a testing. As though some strange thing is happening here. This should be expected. Don't be surprised. I will not be surprised. But to the degree that you suffer or share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. So if you are reviled... For the name of Christ, please hear me on this, not because you're reviled because you support some kind of political party, Republicans or Democrats or Independents, not because you're associated with some kind of a sports organization or um, any kind of entrepreneur or business organi- organization, but if you're reviled for one particular identity, the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed. Because if you're identifying with Christ and you're suffering for it, maybe there's something genuine about you because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of glory and of God actually may rest upon you. As opposed, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers, here we go again, as a Christian not because of a gender identity or a sexual identity, but as a identity, as a Christian, oh, you're not to be ashamed, but you're to glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with a household of God. That's a sobering statement. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The implication of... That's a rhetorical question. The fire comes... And tests God's people. And God's people, true people, will withstand the testing. But those who are not true won't. Okay. Verse 18. And if it with and if it is with with or through difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Again, the rhetorical question there. Those who do not know God will be consumed. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So this morning we are developing this. We are developing four natural expectations that every child of God should have during their time here on earth. These four expectations are simply the way that God has designed the world these expectations are something that, like the rising and the setting of the sun, they, we expect them and we take them for granted. We're not surprised when the sun rises in the morning. And isn't this morning such a beautiful day? But did you wake up this morning and say, hey, I'm surprised it's light outside? You didn't because you expect the sun to rise. And if it didn't, that would be surprising So if you did not have any tests of your faith, that would be surprising, not that there are tests of your faith. So the first natural expectation is this. God will bring testing of his children. Say this, I expect testing. Say that. I expect testing. God's testing is an expected part of life. Do not be surprised. Surprised is... Uh, The meaning of that word there, according to the original, to cause a strong psychological reaction through the introduction of something new or strange. Something like that. Now, when it comes to trials and sufferings, we have lost the battle already. When we are shocked as if what we are facing is some kind of surprising thing. When we are surprised and we spend all kinds of time in self-pity or anger, or despair, or disbelief about how a particular circumstance happened to me? Like, why is that happening? And we spend all kinds of time in surprise, or self-pity, or disappointment. Every moment spent in self-pity, and anger, and despair is a moment wasted in what God is using the test for. You know, it's kind of like, since we're talking about testing here this morning, it's kind of like when you sit down and take a test at school and the teacher told you that the test is going to be like an hour long. And you get there and you get the test and you spend the first 55 minutes surprised that you have a test. And if you only start, and if you only start in the last five minutes, you're course going to fail that test. God commands, do not be surprised. Why? God has made testing something embedded in the fabric of the world. Faith Church North, you know this to be true. You know this to be true. Because all of you expect testing in every other context. You do. You do. Let me show you. Where are you sitting right now? Tell me where you're sitting right now. You're sitting in a gym with 2018 building cold standards. And you expected those building codes and this building to be tested so this building would not collapse on your head this morning. Okay. An unimaginable number, number of people, 60,000, died in the Syrian and Turkey earthquake this year in February. And of course, that was a severe earthquake. But in part, I say in part, that, that number was 60,000 unimaginable because of poor, untested construction in that area. Of course, you want testing, and of course, you want refining. What do you want for your engineers, Faith Church North? What do you want for your engineers? Say testing. What do you want for your doctors? Testing. What do you want for your airline pilots? What do you want for your pastors? Pastors. Of course, you want to test me and to make sure that I'm the real deal in front of you. What do you want for your educational institutions, like Faith Bible Seminary? What do you want for yourself? Oh, that's where you're fudging a little bit. <laughs> Testing, what for me? If you say no thank you to God for that, you're forfeiting something that is reassuring in your life. I'll explain as we go. Now, as a Christian, specifically, testing is part of what God has designed for his people specifically. Okay, time for judgment to begin at the household of God first. Where does testing begin, friend? Where does it begin? Where does it begin? Where, is, where does the text say? Where does the text say? Say it. The last one, two, three, four words there. Where does it begin? Now that's a loaded statement. Now let me kind of unpack that for a moment. Is Peter saying that the suffering and experience that we have in hard times is a divine penalty when he uses the term judgment? No, he's not saying that. He can't be. Peter over and over has been saying suffering for righteousness, suffering for righteousness. So Peter is using the term judgment here not for God executing some kind of judicial sentence here because of your sin, but in terms of, here it is, as a judge rendering a decision about whether or not something is the real deal or not. The judging activity of God here that we should expect and not be surprised with is the activity of God that shows forth the practicing nature of your profession of Christ, the judging activity of God that we should expect to not be surprised by, is the activity of God that also destroys the useless and weak and hindering parts of His children's lives that have no place in God's kingdom. The judging activity, and decision-rendering part of this, is the activity of God that polishes And purifies within his children that which is precious to him. So Peter is saying this God is bringing about circumstances to burn away all that is weak, and circumstances that help you strengthen all that can stand the fire, all while showing forth who are genuinely his first. Say first. And we can see this, we can see God's activity of testing even from the very first book of the Bible. Now, it came about after these things that God, what is the word there? Oh, it's tested. God tested Abraham. The test for Abraham was whether his faith would bridge the gap between two seemingly impossible realities that God had Made known to him, the first seemingly impossible reality is that God had promised twenty-five years earlier in Abraham's life to childless Abraham and dead womb Sarah a son. How is that going to be possible? You know, God, that I'm old and Sarah's Sarah doesn't have a living womb; she can't have children. But God worked in that life, and God had imparted life to Sarah's dead womb. And secondly, then God says this in Genesis 22, now go and kill that son. And he was testing Abraham. He was saying, if, if this is the son you love and the one that I promised for you, I want you to go see how much you believe me. Go and sacrifice him to me. Now, God, we ultimately know, is not for child sacrifices. We know that because he rescued Isaac from that scenario. Now, in all the other times that God had tested Abraham, you might say, well, Abraham had been surprised at the testing. And if you know the story of Abraham, Abraham tried somehow to rationalize his way out of the various other tests of God. He had struggled deeply on his journey to a refined and mature faith. But now in Genesis chapter 22, God, after giving the command to sacrifice Isaac, here's what the text says, and Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey to go and obey God. No surprise, no shock. And as you read the tense and tender Genesis 22 passage of a mature Abraham now, you see that Abraham passed the test. God showed forth to the world and to Abraham himself the refined nature of Abraham's faith. And at the moment of Abraham passing the test, here's what happened. God sealed the promise of redemption to the entire world through the seed of Abraham. So light, hope, and assurance to the world came through Abraham being tested and being found out to be the real deal. That doesn't mean that it was easy for Abraham, however. Peter describes each testing as a fiery ordeal. Friends, Faith Church North friends, what does fire do? What does fire do? Oh, you know it, it burns. And that burning hurts. And there's no doubt about it. But that burning purifies. It burns away all that cannot stand the heat. In fire, all that is not able to stand up to the burning is left in ashes, showing us that what was burned was ultimately not able to stand that burning. So, friends, when the non-surprising fiery ordeal comes into your life, and I don't know what that is, but we will all have them, It would be shocking if you did not. When the non-surprising fiery ordeal comes into your life, you will find out that the earthly riches that we tend to trust in cannot stand the fire. You will find out that the fame that we tend to clamor for and that we want will not last. The fleeting pleasures that we live for are gone you'll find that even the most precious things that we have like human relationships or romance that maybe we have built in our lives or even in our minds, they can't stand the fire either. Even if your spouse or your friend is loyal to you for all of your life, that fire of death, when God brings death, will render that person ashes, dust to dust. And that leads us here to our set, second natural expectation. I cannot trust in riches or relationships or the pleasures of this earth or the praise of man. And God will be sifting and refining his children's true loyalties. Right? First Peter 4, if you are reviled for a particular identity... For the name of Christ, you are blessed. Again, not because you're a Republican or Democrat or you identify in some way as gender neutral or whatever sexual identity. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, then you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Contrary to that, make sure that none of you, because of your identity as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as is an identity of Christian, you're not to be ashamed, but you're to glorify God in that name. Now for this message at this point, this morning I'm talking to you who profess Christ. Okay? If you don't profess Christ, I'm not talking to you right at this moment. The primary testing of suffering that is revealing in your lives, okay, the primary testing, Or suffering that is revealing, that shows if you are the real deal in your life is because of the specific identity that you claim. Reviled for the name of Christ. Suffers as a Christian. Glorify God in this name. Your professed identity as a Christian in the name of Christ will be tested. So you claim you are a Christian. You bear the name of Christ. What and where are your loyalties? Are they to Christ or to something or someone else? You know there are real Christians, and there are individuals who claim to be Christians that ultimately cannot stand the fire. And one of the most sobering passages in the New Testament is one that is in Matthew chapter seven. This scared me as a child when I wasn't sure about my faith. But this passage right here, and I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just trying to say that God is in the business. We don't have to earn our way to heaven, but when we have faith, God will test to see if we are the real deal. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, meaning that your practice matches your profession, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ultimately, their practice did not match the fact that they were claiming to be Christians. Your identity and faith in Christ will be tested factory worker hear me so i don't know what your occupation is but factory worker god is not so much concerned that you have ability to do the fastest assembly line in the world but do you bear the name of christ and function like christ would on that assembly line you know god is not so much concerned with your construction skills needed to help build good buildings although i hope they're great But he will test how you function as a Christian in your construction work. Do you bear the name of Christ and do your work with Christ-like values? Christian husband, okay? Your practice as a Christian husband, you bear that name, will be tested. Christian parent, Christian school teacher, and yes, Brent's Christian pastor as well. Now, please note this the suffering or natural consequences, the suffering because of our natural consequences because of sinful choices. The suffering because of natural consequences of sinful choices, if I'm a murderer, thief, evildoer, troublesome meddler, if we bear consequences, which we should, because I've done something wrong, that natural reaping what I sow while instructive to me, and it teaches me, if I if I end up bearing consequences because I've done something wrong, that should be a teacher of me. But it's not revealing of what your professed identity is. Notice that Peter says this, don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian. The implication here is if you suffer as a wrongdoer, guess what? You should be ashamed and you will bear consequences for that that should teach you some things, but that's not revealing of your, of your professed identity. Peter's been saying this throughout his book. 1 Peter 2.20, what credit is there if you sin and you bear consequences? Okay. Or 1 Peter 3.17, it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing right than suffer for doing what is wrong. Suffering for doing wrong, that kind of suffering for our sins, again, while instructive and teaches us hopefully not to continue in that practice, is not revealing of what God calls us to be. All of that kind of suffering, all of that kind of practice will be burned up in the fire of testing. So let's ask this question. Faith Church North, what is real tested faith? Suffering in His name. Let's start here with this. Most of you here, and I'm thankful for this. Most of you here bear the name of Christ, and that means if you bear the identity of Christ, you're bearing, you're bearing the name of Christ and His suffering on the cross. Now about. Oh, two weeks ago, Pastor Rod gave you a sermon on a very difficult passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I think he probably said something like this. I know I said something like this also when I was teaching on this passage of Faith uh, East and Faith North. But in my sermon on hope for true spiritual life a few weeks back, that Rod also probably did as well, Peter explained this. Believers who are facing unjust suffering are to look to the example of Christ who admits unjust suffering, died in the flesh, in his body, to the world of the flesh, the world's value system, and then was raised to new life, a new value system. So also, okay, true faith will do this. I'm, I am to die to my natural responses during unjust suffering and to bring forth true, supernatural, spiritual life. So what does true faith look like? And since judgment begins with the household of God, and right now I'm kind of leading this morning the household of God, let's start with me first. If I call myself Brent's a Christian CEO of Faith Bible Seminary, during a testing process... If I call myself a Christian CEO of a Christian organization like Faith Bible Seminary that is undergoing a testing, true faith has to mean something like this. I died with Christ to hiding any FBS weaknesses, to putting forth some kind of false image, and in place I invite the scrutiny. So after that first day of scrutiny that I was... Telling you about God had to do a work in my heart of what true faith is. Okay, I'm not hiding, I'm not running, I'm not trying to escape. I will set my faith face toward the scrutiny because I believe that is righteous and the will of God. True faith. If I call myself a Christian student and my professor mocks my faith in front of the class. I resist the temptation to slander the professor on social media. I've died to that, and perhaps I invite my professor over to dinner or out for coffee or some way to be a blessing to the professor. That is something that true faith looks like. If I call myself a Christian spouse and I bear that name, I resist the temptation to focus on my spouse's faults all the time, but I ensure that I'm setting my face to my own. If I call myself a Christian parent, I die to the lust to parent by convenience through scolding and anger, and my faith comes out in shepherding my children's little hearts in truth spoken in love. If I call myself a Christian friend and I'm sinned against or I'm hurt, true faith comes out. And the willingness to forgive. If I call myself, hear me on this, this applies to all of us right now, if I call myself a Christian church member and I have a concern about Faith Church North or Faith Church in general, I die to the temptation to gossip and complain and I get about the business of communicating to the appropriate ones who can handle the struggle that you might be having with Faith Church. And then I say, I'm willing to help strengthen whatever that concern is. Let's boil it down to this also. If I call myself a Christian, right? Christian means like Christ or Christ follower. If I call myself a Christian, then true faith has to come out in learning more about the one who you say you're following. So, how is your time in the Word going? How is your hunger for the word that reveals to you the person that you say you're following? Are you faithful to the opportunities of learning about Christ in church and you're not just here on Christmas and Easter. You're obviously here not on not just on Christmas and Easter because you're here right now. So thank you for that. But how am I learning more about the one that I'm saying I'm following? Milton Vincent's little booklet, Gospel Primer, has been life-giving to me. His little devotions about how the gospel applies in everyday life. Listen to what he says we should expect. He says this, I should expect every day, Faith Church North, say every day. I should expect every day to encounter God's circumstantial evidence of God's commitment to your dying. All right. And I must seize upon every God given opportunity to be conformed more fully to the Christ's death, no matter the pain involved. Right there is the fiery trials. I will not be surprised, but I will expect them. Okay, so when my flesh yearns for some prohibited thing, and Milton Venson in this particular devotion, he's not talking about unjust suffering as we are in first Peter. He's just saying in general, but let's apply it to unjust suffering. So when somebody treats you poorly or circumstances in your life that we're undergoing, not because of your own particular sin, but when my flesh yearns for some prohibited thing as an escape from unjust suffering, I must die. When called to do something I don't want to do in unjust suffering, return good for evil, I must die. When I wish to be selfish and serve no one, I must die. When shattered by hardships that I despise, I must die. When wanting to cling to wrongs done against me, I must die. This is what we should expect every day. When enticed by allurements of the world, I must die. When wishing to keep besetting sins secret, I must die. When my wants that are borderline needs are left unmet and I have some kind of unfulfilled longings, I must die when dreams that are good seem shoved aside and unfulfilled, I must die. Not my will, but yours be done. Christ trustingly prayed on the eve of his crucifixion when he died. And preaching this gospel story that I'm identifying with as a Christian, preaching that gospel story to myself each day, puts me in a frame of mind to trust God and expect and embrace every day the cross of my own dying myself. Third, if that's true, if that's true and that's what is expected and that's what you're going through and you're dying daily, manifesting true faith, if that's what's true of you, you can expect this, God's life of faith growing in you God's life of genuine, authentic faith growing in you, all oh, my friends, is part of your blessed assurance. Part of your blessed assurance that Jesus is yours. Through his letter, Peter has been saying some of the most paradoxical things about suffering, testing, trials, and he continues that even in our passage when he says at the re- when you share the sufferings of Christ you are blessed at the revelation of his glory you might rejoice with exaltation why if you're living this way and manifesting this kind of a faith guess what you're showing that you're the real deal and when Christ comes you will be there with him rejoice rejoice you are blessed The spirit of his glory and of God rests upon you. So there's something about seizing the trial, dying to the old man, bringing forth the new way of life shows you something and the world something. As your faith is purified, refined, and put on display, Peter says, The spirit of his glory and of God rests upon you. There is part of your blessed assurance that Jesus is yours. After the accreditation testing, I knew that FBS was on the right track and our work had not been in vain. Again, there's something much, much more important than FBS, and that is your faith. Let me illustrate this point in another way. I will never forget an individual that I had the privilege of counseling. The young man was not a member of our church. You would probably not know him. I'm not mentioning his name, but it's a long time ago. But he was a professing believer. He came to me with doubts about the Bible and about Christianity And at first, I entertained his questions. When people come to you with doubts about Christianity, they they normally revolve around certain things. Bible contradictions, okay? Is the Bible really the word of God? Evolution, creation, what about the so-called problem of evil? Those are the common doubts. I began to answer those kinds of questions. And uh, so I did that for a while, but then I asked him about his personal walk with God. I found out that he was sleeping with his girlfriend. I began to challenge him on this, and eventually he stopped. I noticed that the questions about Christianity just evaporated after he began to stop sleeping with his girlfriend. Until one day he came to me and said, I'm struggling with my doubts again. And this time I did not entertain questions about Bible contradictions or the so called problem of evil. I asked him one question, and I said, are you sleeping with your girlfriend again? And he said, yes. And I said, it's no wonder that you're struggling. I've had the occasion to watch the arc of that man's life, and as God has continually tested him, he has suffered as an evildoer and not as a Christian. I ultimately don't know that if he's a Christian or not, but he he struggled with blessed assurance. If you profess to be a follower of Christ, but test after test shows you never follow Christ, then you should ask the question, does the spirit of God's glory truly rest upon me? Now, I know that was negative and I'm looking here at a group of people at Faith Church. I'm so, part, I'm so thankful to be a part of Faith Church where I know so many are the real deal, and I'm looking at you right now. Thank you for test after test of you allowing God to refine your faith and burn apart the things that are useless and polish the things that are precious. Thank you, Faith Church, for being that kind of a church. Fourth, and finally, expect this. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of the testing, oh, my friends, God will do what is right. Therefore, those of you who suffer according to the will of God in the midst of this testing, oh, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. He will do what is right. He will do what is right by you through the testing. The faithful creator doing what is right. We can see this in the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. Let me show this as we finish this point and close out our time together. Let's think about the statement here, the household of God, part of the phrase, judgment begins with the household of God. I'll show you how Jesus, God did what is right by Jesus. But in the Old Testament, so think back with me, those of you who know your Bible a little bit, in the Old Testament, do you remember what the household of God was? What, what was it in the Old Testament? It wasn't like a church like this. What was it in the Old Testament? Okay, Susan says temple. It was a temple. Many of the Old Testament individuals came to put their trust in that system of sacrifices, in that physical building, instead of the God of that building. In essence, their faith was resting in something fallible that could not stand the fires of testing. And there was a time in Old Testament history where the temple and the city of Jerusalem were thought to be unbreachable and would never fail. But God sent the fires of testing upon Jerusalem and upon the household of God, the temple. And if you know your Old Testament, do you know what happened to the Old Testament temple? Do you know what happened? What happened? It was destroyed, burnt to the ground, burnt to the ground. Eventually, God permitted the temple and the city to be rebuilt, a new temple and a new Jerusalem, so to speak. And in 70 A.D., probably a decade after Peter is writing this particular letter, Rome set fire to that temple in that city once again, and what is left is ashes. The household of God was burnt down again. Here's a question. Here's a question for you. Is there a household of God that would not be consumed by fires, Is there any hope for the people of God to not be reduced to ashes, but to come forth as gold and withstand the fire? Is there any hope? Say yes. Yes. (laughs) Peter makes an astounding statement that we've actually studied before regarding the household of God. We studied this while back. Coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a, there's our spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and there is the household of God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He was the household of God, Jesus Christ. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Say, I will not be disappointed. I will not be disappointed. This is precious value for you who believe. So going back to my question, is there any hope? For the people of God, the household of God, to not be reduced to ashes when the testing comes and the fire comes as surely as it would and will. The answer is yes. The text clearly says you will not be disappointed. Why? You understand that we have a forerunner, the cornerstone that Peter talked about, the foundation of the household of God. That forerunner for you went through the fires of testing for you. That household of God, his name Jesus Christ, went through the fires. And when God tested that forerunner, was he ultimately and finally consumed by the fires? Say no. Was he ultimately reduced to ashes? Say no. You're not saying no. Say no. Was he ultimately found out to not be the real deal? No. Jesus Christ survived the testing. And then God did the right thing. And vindicated him by raising him from the dead and said, Here is the one. The one that was tested by fire. And he came forth and he's shining forth as the one who was the only real deal. The household of God, foundation, Jesus Christ, went through the most rigorous judgment testing and came forth. This morning, I don't know what your spiritual condition is. Let me talk to you now who are not believers. If you do not profess Christ this morning, I'm telling you that what you're trusting in will be burned. And there is no hope unless you trust in the one who went through the fires for you. He is the only one who survived the fires. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the one who went through the fires for you, will you talk to one of the pastors this morning? Believer, this morning, you are professing the name of Christ. Expect the testing. Expect the refining of your allegiances. As you bear the name of Christ and know that this is part of your blessed assurance that Jesus is yours, oh, you will not be disappointed and one day you will rejoice with joy inexpressible as you are shown forth as the real deal in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testing that you give in our lives, that you're showing forth the real deal in our lives as well. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to not be surprised, but set our faith to the trials and learn and grow and be refined in the midst of them. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.